Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. Just finished a workout. Nice. Feel sufficiently worked. <laughs> That's awesome. What does yep. this workout entail? Um, it's all just strength stuff. So it's under the supervision of a of a trainer and basically achieving muscle failure on um, a variety of different machines. It's always a full body workout. So cool. Yes, you've been at this for a while now, right? Yeah, I think like I think around three years now. Really? So yeah, with the same trainer. Um, it's so it's like a small gym and I've actually hopped through a few different locations. I, I moved twice over the last three years. And so they have they have a couple different spots, but it's yeah, it's basically um they have a kind of a team of team of trainers and I usually end up working with one um consistently, but sometimes another one has to fill in or whatever. So you end up kind of getting to know gotcha. know everybody there. In my mind yeah. you just started this like a couple months ago. Oh no, no, yeah, this has been going on for a while. Nice. Yeah. Good for you. How do yeah. you stick with a fitness habit that long? I mean honestly I think my <laughs> The biggest thing that's worked for me is having a like paid subscription to this thing. So it's like auto build and auto scheduled basically. And so every time I go in, it's like, all right, we got you down for uh, Tuesday and Friday next week. And it's like, yep, you do. And then that's that's like just enough having some skin in the game, I guess, and not just relying on my own like willpower to wake up in the morning and go at a certain time. Totally. Um, yeah. Kind of does the trick for me. How's your progress been? It's been good. I mean, like, so when I first started it, it was like shortly after. I left Drip, and it was sort of a stressful time, and I was spending, you know, a lot of <laughs> a lot of hours at the office and not paying that much attention to my own health, and so I had probably 15, 20 extra pounds on me, and I was just like, you know, felt weak and and all of that. So I saw pretty quick progress over the next over the first like six months of doing it, where I kind of got you know got metrics back where they closer to where they should be, and then it's just been kind of incremental improvement over time. They set up a workout card for you and then you do it for like three or four months depending on how many how many sessions you end up doing and then there's always a progress assessment. So like things are always kind of moving in the right direction, but it is very small and incremental at a certain point, you know, once you're once you kind of got the big the big gains out of the way. Totally. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I would have a hard time staying motivated through that period. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel it, you know, like it's like the the first eighty to ninety percent is like definitely noticeable, more noticeable. But now I can still like feel, you know, it's it's very subtle, subtle body changes still. But like you know, feel stronger, and I can feel it when I'm, you know, cycling or something. Like coming into it out of winter, I definitely feel in a better position than I have in years past. Like to go do long bike rides and stuff. Nice. Um, so. That's cool. Yeah. So people may notice that um, the podcast is coming out on Wednesdays now. Yeah, we. First time changing up the, the schedule date. Why? Why did we do that, Ben? Um, we did it because I commented on one of the recent shows, like, "Oh, like I, I never get a chance to listen to the podcast before it comes out, before we record again." And so I don't remember what we talked about. And Joel texted me and was like, "Why don't you just have them release it one day earlier?" And I was <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, okay." Yeah, it's like, don't you have some say over that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just yeah, yep, just uh blindness around possible changes so we asked a uh, podcast motor to start releasing this on wednesday and so now we can listen to it before we record mm -hmm. which good. i did this week nice and i yeah. remember it better <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> say i remember all of it but you know yeah yeah that's good yeah. we got some good some good feedback about last week's episode Oh, did we? Some oh, people. that's right. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yep. Yeah, some people commenting on Twitter and stuff. I think they, I think the the feature 
deep dive was fun to listen to. And totally. that was fun to do, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was fun to listen to after the fact, too, actually. Yeah, I still need to actually listen to it. I, I haven't yet, but... Yeah. yeah, I think we got some good stuff. We had some good discussion, and I want to actually like turn that into notes because I think we hit, hit on a couple of good ideas in there that I liked. Yeah, we should do more of that. I, <sighs> I agree. Yeah, um, for sure. Like it was useful for me to bounce that off you, and we both are like kind of producty people, so we we may as well take advantage of this. Yep, totally. Yeah. Um, also, I was on, or at least I recorded uh, an episode of Indie Hackers mm-hmm. uh, last week. Which will be coming out soonish, I think. Some number of days. It actually may be out by the time this is out. Cool. Nice. That was good. Went like super personal. It was interesting. Like Corlin and I started talking about our dating lives. And I saw you tweet single. about that. I, I yeah. chuckled about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like this is the thing I've been realizing is like I am a single person and like trying to find a life partner. And uh, I don't talk about that publicly almost at all. And, like despite the fact that I have like an, a podcast with thousands of listeners and a bunch of Twitter followers and a mailing list. And it's like... Oh yeah, certainly. Like, there's some ladies out there in the podcast uh, listenership. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or yeah. like people who have friends with, that are ladies or whatever. Like you know, if you look at the secondary connections, it's even more people. So, yeah, I've sort of resolved to start talking about this more often and like just tell people like, yo, I'm I'm into being intro to awesome friends of yours. Uh, so please, please do that. But yeah, it was it was a super fun podcast. Cortland and I are, are, have like become friends, and like it was kind of less of like. Welcome to the Indie Hackers podcast, where I'm going to interview a person and you know get to know what makes them tick or something. It was more like Cortland and I were kind of just chatting, uh, that, and that makes the best kind of podcast audio. I feel like when there's yeah. true true rapport there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yep, that's good. Yeah, if you couldn't tell, we're into the two friends talking about things podcast <laughs> format. Yeah, right. Yeah, we might be uh, interested in doing that ourselves. So yeah, yeah. It's actually been a tough couple weeks work wise. There's some stuff that like I is like kind of sensitive, so I don't quite want to talk about it publicly. But there have been a few kind of bumps in the road over the last couple of weeks. I've definitely been much more on the stressed side than than usual about it. So I've been trying to think like what what are good things to get through this and deal with it and all that. I think I'm starting to turn the corner on it. One thing I did is I actually came to my parents' house for the last couple of days. Joel's out of town, so I was like, I'm gonna go work from uh, my parents' place, and I'm actually taking the rest of today off after right, we finish recording. It's like it's supposed to be really warm and nice. I don't want to get too much into the specifics, but I did want to kind of just mention that because I think we talk about the good stuff quite a bit and we've always also resolved to talk about the bad stuff. So uh, without getting too specific, I can say it's been it's, it's been a little bit of a rough start to like April and, and March. Yeah. No, I appreciate your you know honesty and sharing that. And like, has this happened before in the tuple journey, like this this kind of season, I guess? Mm. Or is this kind of the first time? It's hmm. it's not quite the first time. There have been some challenges. I would say this is like a little bit of a lower point than normal. Maybe the lowest so far for me personally, I guess. I mean, I do realize that like overall we've been like super lucky in that like it it hasn't felt like people talk about how hard startups are, like what a grind it is and how miserable it is. And I, it's been hard, but it hasn't felt miserable. Like it's always been like, yeah, this is a challenge, but I'm enjoying the challenge. This has been kind of the first time where it's like this. This challenge kind of sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> these last couple of weeks. <laughs> but honestly, like I, I'm trying to like average everything together and be like, yeah, it's it's hard right now. But like, you're gonna have days like these or weeks like these. Right, right. Do you feel like part of the coping mechanism is to just like, yeah, like step back and kind of take stock of the bigger picture and recognize that like, is it kind of for you about like right sizing the the actual 
like scope of the problem and like, okay, this is, this is crappy to deal with, but it's like not, you know, it's not business ending. Has that kind of been part of your exercise? That you helps. Know, yeah. To, I'm definitely kind of like a catastrophizer as they call it in the psychology world where it's like, oh, like this bad thing means these next four bad things are going to happen too. Or like I will kind of assume like, oh, something is bad today. Well, therefore, it's going to be bad forever. So how can I deal with the fact that this is always going to be bad? And so I'm trying to be like, no, this thing is recoverable over here. And like this thing sucks, but it won't suck forever. And, and just like kind of focus on like just got to keep going, like put the you know left foot, right foot, keep going. Eventually, it doesn't it's not going to feel so crappy. Yeah, yeah. Has it helped having co-founders through this? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it helps for sure. I literally couldn't and wouldn't do this sort of thing alone. It would not mm. it would not work. <laughs> so in 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 the deepest sense, it's helped having co-founders because it went from impossible effectively impossible to possible. We had a good chat the other day, like we went climbing and I was kind of just like, Yeah, this was like yesterday, like sucked super hard for me and like this thing was rough and like I could use support over here and whatnot. So that that makes a big difference for sure. Leaning on other people definitely helps me for these kind of things. Having people in your corner is, uh, I mean, I think probably doesn't come as a surprise to most people that that's, that's a huge thing. And like, yeah, I am, since I'm doing the crazy undertaking of like not technically having co-founders, definitely like grabbing a drink with Rob or, or having a call with my mastermind group, like makes a huge difference. And I think that's something for everyone who's, you know, indie hacking or whatever and like trying to, trying to get something off the ground or trying to grow something even like, yeah, don't try to go it alone. It's definitely a big pro tip. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny like the when things are tough it makes the like 4-hour work week step away from the business style kind of thing more appealing, of course. I just had the shower thought which is like, wait a minute, like I could stop working on this and I still get I still own all of the shares that I have and like if there was someone else that had to run this and deal with these problems like I, I could just not and cash the checks. That's like, you know, I don't actually want to do that right now. But it was like, it was kind of a nice reminder that like, you know, we could build towards a world where we're like positive additions to the company, but don't have to be there every day. I think the tricky thing about this is just like, there's, it's, and we've talked about this with like competition is like, there's no like stable, everything's just going to be okay for now on company configuration, right? It's like, you're kind of always responding to outside threats, issues, problems, d- demands. If you eventually want to break from that, uh, you have to do something. You can't just be like, okay, no, like we're going we're gonna to grow to X and then just chill. It's like, well, you kind of can't really do that, I think. I like the th- yeah, businesses just can't be static. I mean, it's just by nature, a business is not a static thing, right? Yeah. Part of my brain wants to like set a revenue goal and then be like, all right, after this, we don't care if we make any more money. So like... Don't think about growth after that. Like just like just think about, you know, enjoyment or something. Or like what else could you optimize for if not revenue or something? I don't know that that would work. That might not give you like if the market starts demanding other things and you're just like, we don't want to build that because it doesn't sound fun. Uh, eventually maybe you your position is eroded and whatnot, or your customers leave or um, but there is something in that that appeals to me, which is just like setting an enough number and then be like, okay. Starting now, we're not going to talk about, think about, care about the, the, the you know, revenue or growth side of the business. We're going to think about the other things that we care about. Like what's, what's fun here and what do we like to do? It requires a very mature sense about what you're actually optimizing for, you know, which I think a lot of us like to, 
we hold this in our heads that we're like we're choosing our own path or bootstrapping companies because we want to um, have ownership in something that is decoupled from the time we put into it so that we can have you know time to live fulfilling lives and invest in areas that we that we really care about and that's not always our businesses right we have lives outside of business and that's like that's like an ideal state of things but then I mean, I definitely feel like it's so hard. The gravitational pull of like getting too focused on just relentlessly optimizing MRR or business metrics, like the allure of that is so strong, mm-hmm. um, you know. And totally. I, I'm like trying to figure out what that point is for me. Like right now, I have this strong sense of urgency to get to like true profitability, where it's like I'm paying myself comfortably that that actually like satisfies my own <laughs> personal lifestyle. I can pay my rent and all that kind of stuff, and then have some margin to. You know, to make investments in growing the business, but not have to overstretch myself and constantly be in a state where like it's not sustainable. But I have a feeling like once I cross that threshold, it's just there's just going to be a strong pull to like grow, grow, grow. Even though we talk about how that's like, you know, we we don't necessarily raise venture capital because that is it's like grow, grow, grow times ten or times a hundred is the is the mandate, and we don't like that mandate. But still, like bootstrappers still fill that pull. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's totally. hard not to. It is. I mean, it's just like it plugs too neatly into your brain structures, mm-hmm. right? So it's like every, I think it's all, it's going to be super hard not to fall into that trap. You'd have to like really, really fight it. And when things are going well, business feels like a really fun game where there's like real dollars coming out the other side of it, right? And that's very <laughs> that's very intoxicating. Um, but then when it's not going well, then you realize like, oh, maybe I've maybe I've put. Too much of my own personal well-being and happiness into like this, this thing that's really just a game where we're putting effort in and seeing how much, how many dollars we could get out the other side, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, there's no, there's no like dashboard for like happiness. It's like very easy to go check, you know, bare metrics and be like, okay, we are X percent up over last month, and yesterday we cha- we our MR changed by this many dollars down to the cents, but it's like. How happy are you and your co-founders? Like, are your employees feeling satisfied? Like, there's, you know, that's a you can make this dashboard or something like it, but it's not the it's not the easy like one. Like a daily journal where you give yourself a score or something and then mm. you plot that. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's too uh, new agey. Uh, you know, personal happiness hacking, but uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> Could be interesting. Seems to worth index considering. those two against each other. It yeah. might also be like uh, uh, for me, like that kind of thing might be useful because, like, okay, I'm going through a rough patch right now. But if I look back on the last six months, look how much you know positive days there are. So okay, fine. Like you know, you're you're dealing with this now, but that's clearly the the overall is good. What do you think the end state for you is in Savvy Cal? I still fear like if I were to start growing a team, for example, you know, if you're effective at your job and you and and you're successful and you have you have a team, your team naturally wants to grow. Like it just it just you know. You naturally have more needs, and you need to fill in more people. And before you know it, like you're in charge of a of a ever growing pool of staff. And I've been hearing a lot of founders talk about, like I think Rand Fishkin has talked about it quite a bit with with Moz. You know, obviously you grew to a very large large company, twenty million dollar company uh, revenue, whatever, and a decently sized team. And like you know, as as the head of that, he became kind of consumed with like just dealing with personnel things and there was always it got to the state where there was always somebody who was you know underperforming and needed needed to be coached or whatever or just managerial HR type of issues and that's something that I really feel like that amount of complexity and that amount of that type of work 
doesn't appeal to me and that might constrain what I'm ultimately able to do growing the business because you know how far can you really take a company without growing a growing a large team I don't know but I am I'm pretty intrigued by this like idea of of intentionally staying very small working with you know contractors as much as possible and and seeing what we can do but I don't know if that's short-sighted or if that's like you know painting myself into this kind of corner of like always having to have a job at the company as opposed to like working quote unquote on the business, you know? Um, hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, but no matter what you're working, you're either like contributing yourself or you're managing the people that are working. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really hard to, to get, although like it doesn't have to be that way. I guess you could kind of hire people to take over more and more of your work. Right. Like yeah. that would be an interesting dashboard. Like how much work do I have to personally have to do? Like what are, what are my, what's my responsibility list and how many hours does that take? And like, can I track that over time? That might be an interesting metric. Yeah. But uh, I think for me, like if, if I, you know, in five years, if I'm, you know, if the business is profitable and I'm comfortable and I'm still getting to wake up in the morning and bite off a really interesting feature in the product and build it and fill the satisfaction of like creating something out of nothing. I mean, that's what truly gives me, you know, satisfaction and if I can be working with people like Corey, who like, you know, he's his wheels are spinning on some new like marketing campaign that we're that we're fleshing out. And like that's his area of responsibility and I get to contribute, but it's not my primary focus. Like I think I will be happy with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty good. So I think that's I think that's the goal. It's like how can I stay stay an individual contributor in the areas that I actually really love and that really gives me a lot of satisfaction. You know? Yeah, that was one of my conclusions from retreat this this quarter was like the things I really enjoy are like figuring out what to build, talking to customers, shaping a feature, figuring out the little UX details, and then like seeing it go live. I've been kind of like delegating more and more of that, and I was like, no, no, no I, I want it. That's what I want to do. Like, let, let me do that. I'm going to do that. It feels important to know. I was listening to Jason Freed on Twenty VC the other day and he was like very upfront about he's like he said something like he likes doing what i just talked about like he's like i like he's like i like building product i love you know doing product things he goes i really don't like managing a team of 60 people i do it because i kind of have to uh but i've never liked it and i don't like it (laughs) and i was just like well that's very honest of him I can kind of get that. It's like it's, it kind of feels. It seems like to him, it feels like a necessary evil. Like to do the scale of things they want, they need a team of a certain size, um, and so that someone someone has to manage it. But yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I know other people who have hired CEOs to like take over that that part of the business or like you know to, to take over those responsibilities. And I, I sort of understand that. I think we should we should talk to Paul Jarvis about this about that that enough concept. I think I feel like he's he seems better at this than almost anybody I know. Where he like he seems to be very clear about what he wants to optimize for, and like do it pretty intentionally, and it's not just the default answers. Right. No. Yeah. He did. He did write the book on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Oh, so, uh, what else? What's going on with you? How's Savicale? <laughs> yeah, Savicale's good. I mean, it's it's been a um, it's been an interesting start to the month because just like looking at my. Looking at the metrics, which I'm trying not to be a slave to my metrics, but you know uh-huh. I, I do check them a lot. <laughs> How many times do you check and, your metrics? Your, um, your metrics? Probably like um, twice a day. Okay. Yeah, those are rookie numbers. 
Are they? <laughs> At least for me. I'm, I'm definitely more than twice a day, which is stupid because it doesn't doesn't matter. Even once a day doesn't matter. Even, like, even once a week would be fine. Even that's probably too much. Yeah, probably. And I, I, I did a really dumb thing yesterday. I opened up Stripe and I was like just perusing through. I was trying to get a sense for the trial pipeline and how it's changing over time. And I was just scrolling through a customer list and seeing like, you know, on each page there was like one or two customers that were like set to cancel at the end of the period. And I just got like really agitated doing that. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not healthy at all because ultimately like it's, I think it's healthiest to be just focusing at the top level at like, uh, you know, what are the, what are the high level metrics of the business? Like the funnel, how's the funnel operating? And if there's a metric that's bad at a certain point in the funnel for long enough, then you invest time into making that better. You know, it's never helpful, I don't think, to to go too deep on like just looking through individual accounts that are canceling. You need to you need to think of the business. It's helpful if you're if you're in the frame of like I'm going to reach out to people and try to have conversations and learn like qualitatively why they're canceling. But if you're just in the in the mindset of like trying to get a get a lay of the land for metrics, like doing that is probably not super productive, <laughs> you know. And there will always be things in there to stress you out. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like a thing that like I knew the numbers already, and that was enough. But then just to go in and like see individual line items of customers with a canceling soon flag on them was just like extra negativity that I didn't that didn't serve any purpose at all. And so I kind of kicked myself for doing that. But like, yeah, it's been a weird like start of the month, you know, headed into a weekend. Like, and so there are fewer trials converting over the weekend just by nature of people not signing up. And so like I had some churn at the beginning of the month and then the weekend hit. And so I'm just like looking at the the month graph in ProfitWell and it's just like, it's like a plane starting to take off and then the plane crashes back into the ground because there's some churn and there's not many trials converting. Now it's like slowly coming back up, but it's like, you know, ProfitWell emails like you're 25% behind your goal. And it's, that's where I kind of want to like, I've had that email, that like little up digest email on for a while, but I don't think, I think I need to turn that off. Again, if it's not serving a purpose, if it's not actually an actionable thing, then it's probably not worth seeing, you know, it's mm-hmm. just a distraction. I feel like I need to start a support group for people who want to not check their metrics so often. Yeah. It's, like <laughs> yeah. The, it's the don't check your metrics group. And all we do right. is like not check our metrics. We all throw our throw our credentials for our bare metrics accounts or profit well accounts into a basket and we like mm-hmm. uh, exactly. we only let each other log in every once in a while or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Also, like now we have since we have a lot of customers, we have like like, like a lot of failed charges. That's another thing that like that gets to me is like we have how many thousands of dollars in outstanding invoices? Like it's like scary numbers. It's like oh my god, and then it's like yeah, that that always gets me riled up. I don't know if you've used ProfitWell at all, but I did turn on their Retain product about a week ago, and it's actually it's seeming to work pretty well. Like there have been some accounts that have been delinquent or just past due floating around for a while, and once I finally got that activated, they were like. I don't know, 10 of them recovered or something within the first couple of days. I was like, oh, I should have done this a lot sooner. Yeah. Um, yeah, we use uh, Churnbuster currently for that kind of thing. And it, it mostly works, but then sometimes it doesn't. It's like, okay, now this account is in an unpaid state and like, seemed like they liked it. What happened here? Like, we should dig into this. We should go contact these people. We should figure this out. Yeah. 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 What is your like following up with the people who, I guess, voluntarily churn, who, who, 
cancel? What does that look like for you right now? Right now, do you now, have an automated email question actually. or anything? No. Okay. For a while, we had an automated like cancellation feedback kind of thing going on, and I wasn't finding a ton of value from it. Oddly, like the it seemed like the cancellation reasons were like, oh, like we didn't get our round of funding, or like, oh, we were cutting back on expenses or something. Like it wasn't like you're missing X Y Z so much. Um, I'd like to get back to that and just like make sure those see, see again, check again, see what's going on. But yeah, nothing right now. Yeah, I feel like I I kind of have a growing blind spot in that. And I added an email um, that added this like a month, two months ago or something um, that sends if if people cancel as soon as they cancel, like within a couple hours or something, it shoots them an email. It's, should be like. I feel like it's a pretty well written email that's like not aggressive or like, why are you canceling? It's like, you know, it's it has a good tone to it, but very few people respond to it. And so I feel like the responses I am getting is like, well, it's definitely not a representative sample, uh, because it's there's all this like sampling bias in who actually does respond, you know. Um, yeah. Hmm. So Yep. That's a big part of like doing these like running these SaaS companies is like trying to trying to get a real representative lay of the land is can be really tricky because people generally don't respond to things like a very small percentage will respond to questions in onboarding emails or right. you know post cancellation feedback emails and uh, totally so yeah there's not a lot of incentive to people to give you feedback no you want it no. it's useful for you but it's not that helpful for them generally right right but other than other than that kind of just dealing with mental stuff at the beginning of the month uh, still growing still growing a bit and i'm i'm very stoked to be about ready to like publicly launch the outlook integration so it's actually it's soft launched right now i saw um, that i yeah, went i went to I log have, in and saw i could sign in with my outlook or microsoft something or account. my microsoft yep. account yeah mhm yeah i had it behind a flag for a while and was just enabling it by request um, for people and then, you know, wasn't hearing like things. It was just seeming to work. Like people connected it and their events appeared and it blocked their availability and did all the things. So I just decided, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to inch it a little bit further and like just open it up softly and, um, you know, obviously watch for errors and reports of weirdness happening. But like kind of just released that feature flag. So it's, it's there now. And um, now I just need to like coordinate a little launch, um, talk through with Corey, figure out like, what what the uh, making the big splash is going to look like for this one, um, but yeah, it's kind of it's time to get that get that fully announced. Cool, nice. Yeah. I love that like lots of little launches idea. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Yeah, we could do better with that. I think turning features into marketable events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And having someone whose job that is. Mm-hmm. Sounds sounds nice. Yep. Yep. So we're experimenting with um, started running some podcast ads. Right now we're on the upside podcast and creative elements. Too early to tell, I think, for results. I have like um, some landing pages set up for those that have a coupon code and that that gets mentioned in the ad read. Just like a couple of people have redeemed that code. It's tough to tell. And I knew this would be the case with podcast ads. Like part of it is just like you know, kind of building brand awareness, which takes it's takes some time to to show ROI. And so we're gonna be doing our best to to try to gauge that. And I think 
adding like a question to our onboarding survey, which I plan to do um, this next week. That's just like, hey, how'd you hear about us? Why'd you sign up? You know, making that a step of that required step of onboarding. Hopefully not. It's hopefully people don't feel like it's too obtrusive, and certainly some people will just put nonsense characters in there. But hopefully, most people will actually. Uh, give me a small hint at least as to how they how they heard about us. Um, mm-hmm. nice. So we'll see how that see how that plays out. It's cool to be running those experiments. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, we got a couple couple more in the hopper for this month too that we'll be able to talk about in the next next couple of weeks probably. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. What do you do with good Twitter threads? Like ones that I see or ones yeah. that I've. I keep yeah. finding these like good threads and like this is good information. I like this. Like I want to mm-hmm. come back to this or like re-remember mm-hmm. this or think about this in the future. Do you have a yeah. do you have a strategy for that? I mean, I generally I've been using the bookmarking feature of Twitter, but I'll admit that uh, that's basically like my prior attempts to use like Pocket and these other like like archival bookmarking tools, which is that I <laughs> I bookmark it and then I never end up. Like almost never end up looking at it. Sometimes I will. Like this has happened a couple times where it's like, oh, you know what? Three months ago, I saw this thread from this person about this thing, and then I like went back and found it. And the bookmarks feature of Twitter has been helpful because it's less noisy than my likes. Like if I've just mm-hmm. tried to search search back through tweets that I've liked, like I end up liking a lot of things. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's difficult to find. Um, but no, I don't have a great system for it. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. I feel like there's like a there's a lot of good knowledge out there and it's hard to like hang on to it. Are you still using Rome? I am. So I've been experimenting with like just dropping links to them under like new notes with like a topic like how to have fewer meetings or whatever the topic that the thing is about. But how do you go find that later? Or like unless I'm like I want to read about meetings and like search for the, my notes on it. It's like I'm not this is probably not just going to come up. I still feel like I need spaced repetition for knowledge I want to install in my head that's easily dumped into from the browser. Right. Because something like that, so you read a thread like that and if you could just commit to memory some of the like r- like key rules of thumb or whatever, like yeah. pro tips from that, like if that was just infused in your head, <laughs> right. that would that's... be ideal so you didn't have to like go back and read it later like if it was if it was resurfaced to you enough times where you memorized it basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Then you wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, there's just next startup. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Sounds a little bit like a consumer app nightmare. Um, Like you're competing with like free Anki. I don't know. I think there's something, something there. Rome has some sort of like show me this again later feature that I should look into. I'm getting a little bit like burned out on their (laughs) UI UX situation. I, I take it it hasn't changed much. I, I get an email like from them every week or two where they're like, we added this new crazy advanced feature or like this new quality of life thing. And I'm like, but like the keyboard shortcuts still annoy the crap out of me or like I can type faster than this search box allows or like it's and it's and like does it still have to be so ugly? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not for me, but now I have all these notes. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel vendor locked in at this point or can you export them or what is that? I'm sure you can. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just need to burn them all out. Maybe they're maybe they're not even useful. Maybe I've just been hoarding notes that don't actually do have value. Uh, see, I don't want notes. I want facts in my head. I think that's the problem. I think I need I need to be able to dump a new thing into an inbox that I later come back and turn into cards 
which maybe it helps you do that intelligently and then then and then add them to a spaced repetition system that I can do on my phone instead of browsing Twitter. Yeah. That's that's pretty interesting. Like if you were to dump something cuz I there are things that I see a lot of, you know, on a on a daily basis and it's like, "Ooh, I want to remember that for later." And then probably if it was shown to me like a week later, it'd be if something was like, "Hey, is this still important or do you do you feel like you're good on this?" And there's probably a lot of things where I'd be like, "Nah, I'm good." And then it could just be like erased from the from the archive. And then other things are like, "Ooh, yeah, no, that's still good." And I still need to like internalize that. And so they're like two different modes, you know, where it's like, yep, keep this around or like, nope, I'm done with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would that'd be, that makes sense. Because there's a strong sense of like, like um, fear of losing a piece of information that you think you might, that might be valuable in the future. And so that's where I feel the instinct to like bookmark something or put it in a note or something like that. But and that happens like viscerally at the moment that I see the thing. It's like, ooh, I'm, that might be helpful to me, and I can't. I don't have the time to think about whether it's important to archive, so I'm just going to archive it for now. But then later on, when I'm in a better mental space to make a decision about that, it'd be like maybe there's a call I can make. Like, nah, I don't really need that. Or yeah, you, totally. You could just excise it from the the system. Just be like, yeah, I thought I wanted to remember this, but I don't. Just just kill this card. Totally. I don't know. Could be interesting. I, maybe I'm inventing products that I wouldn't actually use, though. I feel like that's very easy to do. Yeah, like, I mean that would be a that would be a very aspirational product. A lot of people would would uh, aspire to use it, and then only oh, yeah, a certain percentage of people would actually do it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think space repetition is like such a powerful tool that more people should be using. So it it does feel like a aspirational thing, but also it's like yes, but it's it actually is really good. Like I do think it has the power to like make my life better. So I don't know. Building something there kind of sounds a little fun. If we could get um, Bill Gates on this podcast, do you think you can make that happen? Um, Bill Gates. Yeah, is, is he the, he's the shortest path to a new app. <laughs> no, no. I I would want to ask him a question, and maybe he's answered this elsewhere. But like, I remember watching his documentary, the the one about him, and um, the man just like takes a crate full of books anywhere he goes. Like, if he's going to go go somewhere on a weekend, he takes like ten books, and he like power reads them all and like what's his knowledge archival system is he just just lots of consumption and like assuming that important stuff will stick and he's just really smart so like a lot of it sticks or like i don't know what i wonder what his what his uh, actual system is for like retaining important knowledge it's a good question i have a sense that like if you just if you do take in a lot and read a lot and think a lot it probably the retention is maybe not so important. Like you've let it kind of wash over you. You've let it form some light neural pathways that maybe get re-triggered again later. Maybe he has amazing recall. Maybe he's just like he's great at just keeping that information right. without without yeah. coming back to it. Savant of some kind. Yeah, I mean, it sort of reminds me too of um, the Thirty Seven Signals Basecamp thing that they talked about early on, which is like we don't write down any feature requests. We just as they come through, we hear them. I'm always too afraid to treat feature requests that way. How do you treat them, by the way? Like, do you Same. write them all down? No. Um, no. We track a little bit of them. We've done some surveys around them. So sometimes we get a little more systematic where we like record some or throw out like a list of 10 and say, which of these sound most interesting to you? Mostly I kind of just pay attention. I'm with 37 Signals on some of that, or Basecamp on some of that stuff. Like, I think a backlog is kind of not that useful 
Like it's just so much easier to generate backlog items than it is to actually do anything about them. So like you will always basically have an ever growing backlog. And it's like, yeah, the fact that somebody reported a bug once or that one time we thought we should do this thing or fix this thing or add this is like, it's just not that interesting. Um, and it's kind of, yeah. But anyway, uh, so I, I'm sort of in, I, I sort of, I sort of naturally agree with their like, you don't need to write it down. You can kind of decide at the start of the next work cycle, hey, what's most important right now? Because the important stuff will, will be kind of obvious, it seems like. Mm-hmm. It'll be hard to yeah. ignore. That's probably true. I mean, yeah. I do still, I feel a little bit of concern that like, I don't totally trust my own recall to like remember. Like, there is a certain um, advantage to like getting on top of something really early before like the masses are really calling for it. And, but I guess that's, that's part of just having your, trying to have your um, product thinker hat on anytime you're processing a feature request. And yeah. And, and like they talk about building stuff that no one asked for. So they're not just saying like, well, eventually we figure out what everyone wants. Then we build that. Like they're, they're also thinking sort of more laterally than that, which seems good too. If you've got this list of like, here are the stack ranked features that people have been asking for. Maybe you have a hard time not working on the top one, but maybe the thing that no one is asking for is what makes your product different or sets it apart or causes a delightful experience or something like that. Right, right. Yep. Lots of ways to play the game. For sure. That's the art. That's the art of it. It's the art of product. That's the art of product. Boom. Boom. <laughs> End of show. Mic drop. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm on vacation. Yeah. Notes of the show. Off. Notes of the show can be found on artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.